get started with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome to it. We've got a couple of hours of good information for you on the way, and we're going to start it off with a look at ag headlines. Jesse Harding is right over there. That's right. Yesterday, late afternoon, last night, an atypical case of BSC was found in Alabama. Okay. Yeah. We don't need that news. No, I'm sorry. Don't shoot the messenger. No, no, we shan't. So what do we know about it? So it's an atypical case, so it's not like the other forms of BSE, like typical BSE, but we'll get more information about those causes behind it. We'll also get an update on how it was handled from the Cattlemen's Beef Association President Craig Uden from Dar Feedlots here in Nebraska about how it is being handled there in Alabama. So that will be at the 1213. For the 1219, Joe Gangwish is joined with Bill Goss. Gross, he is the founder of the group Farm Rescue. The organization was founded to help families with planting, harvesting, or a hang of crops to those who have suffered a major injury or personal disaster. They talk more about their expansion coming into Nebraska now. For the newsmaker, Chad Moyers with Nebraska Pork Producer Association Executive Director Al Yunke. They're inviting pork producers to vote for delegates going to the National Pork Forum in Kansas City next February. Voting goes on through this Friday. So we'll find out more about that opportunity for pork producers. And then for the 117, Bruce Gorder is joined with Bill Northey. He is the Iowa um, Director of Agriculture. They discuss the importance of animal diseases being located in the middle of America and going on in Ames, Iowa, I, Ames, Iowa right now is the Animal Health Conference, and that's where they are at. I'll bet they'll have a whole topic to discuss there. Yes. All right, very good. Very Thank timely you, for yes. them. <laughs> we'll listen with a lot of interest there. Jason Jorgensen on sports. It is a time of year that we're just kind of getting geared up for college football as, as media days wrapping up Big 12, Big 10, or set for next week in Chicago. But it's that time of year when baseball really takes center stage. Yeah. And the Dodgers continue to just have a summer to remember. They've won 10 in a row. They beat the White Sox last night. Clayton Kershaw improved to 15-2. and two. And I know they pay him a king's ransom salary. But if there is ever a guy who probably earned every cent that he's paid, it would be Clayton Kershaw. Uh, he said he was rusty. He went seven scoreless innings. <laughs> If we all could be that rushed, so we'll touch on that. Also, there were a couple of trades last night, Major League Baseball action. The Royals have hit a skid, wrong time of the year to do that. They've dropped six of seven. If they don't turn things around, you would figure they would be a seller and not a buyer with the trade deadline just had. Also, Minnesota Vikings made some news yesterday announcing that this will be the final year they will hold their training camp in Mankato. A lot of the NFL teams these days, they just build their own complex, and that's where they have training camp. They got the dough to do right now. That's true. All right. Dave Schroeder's in here with business. Yes. Well, stocks are edging higher today in early trading on Wall Street. Health care companies, banks, and consumer companies are gaining ground. Uh, yesterday, the S&P 500 and NASDAQ closed at record highs yesterday, and so we're monitoring that again today. And there is a call center the, that closed in Lincoln, so interesting situation there. All right. We'll follow all these stories and more for you during the day today on Midday. Who's responsible for this <laughs> outrage? Yeah, heat and humidity. <laughs> yeah. We'll just blame it on that nasty high-pressure ridge. The double uh, the double H going on uh-huh. here. And uh, now our ag weather with Paul Perkins brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. 
Many locations right now with actual air temperatures in the low and mid-80s. We do have, though, some upper 80s to low 90s over extreme southern Nebraska and northern Kansas and also into north-central Nebraska. Then we figure in that heat and humidity. Two points right now in the upper 60s to low 70s, as high as 74 and 75 on the dew point in Broken Bow and Lexington. And if you're wondering, anytime it's above 65 on that dew point, it's starting to feel humid, and already that's giving us some heat index readings on into the upper 80s to low 90s in many locations. But as you head into north-central Nebraska, from Thetford on up to Valentine, Ainsworth and O'Neill, temperatures are already on the heat index, ready what it feels like into the mid to upper 90s. It's all thanks to a big subtropical ridge of high pressure overhead through Friday in our area that will continue our prolonged period of hot and humid weather. Heat index ratings will be as high as 105 in west central, central and northeast Nebraska, on into northwest and north central Kansas, pretty much all the way through the day, all the way into Friday. Heat index ratings as high as 115 are going to be possible in southeast Nebraska, northeast Kansas, or if you are southeast of a line from York to around Phillipsburg. A few thunderstorms will be possible off to the north and west, Right near a front that continues to linger, but that high-pressure ridge keeping most of the area hot, humid, and dry. Now, late Friday, a cold front will sag south, and that will serve as the focus for some thunderstorm development. Some of those storms could be severe. That high-pressure ridge retreats a bit over the weekend and early next week. This will cool our temperatures back into the 80s for at least a few days and allow some more thunderstorm chances back into the forecast. But it doesn't look like that cool-down will last long in our long-term forecast. A ridge of high pressure will maintain that high likelihood of warmer-than-normal temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas. Monday through the 1st of August, mid-July through mid-August, that's our hottest time of the year in central Nebraska when our daytime highs usually average in the upper 80s and overnight lows average in the low 60s. The high-pressure ridge also means below-normal rainfall in Nebraska Kansas and the central U.S. Monday on into August 1st. Weather factors driving the market trade today include a wide variety of stressful conditions across the Midwest and crop-threatening heat and drought across the central and southern plains. The next several days, moisture with the southwest monsoon circulation will continue to interact with some cold fronts across the north. Some of the heaviest rain should occur across the northern Corn Belt. Occasional showers on the northern plains could provide some limited drought relief, but not a whole lot. A strong high-pressure ridge will result in hot, humid, and mostly dry conditions across a broad area from the southern plains on into the mid-Atlantic. Now, in the western Midwest, we've got a variety of weather to talk about in the Midwest. In the western Midwest, limited rain and above-normal temperatures in southern and central portions will increase the crop stress, especially for the pollinating corn, and some some crop losses can be expected. Northern Iowa and southern Minnesota, they will see beneficial rain and more moderate temperatures, but the heat will increase the stress in central and south Illinois and also in south Indiana. Too much rain is now a problem in other parts of Indiana and Ohio, so a big wide variety of problems in the Midwest. Hot weather and limited rain in the northern plains will continue the crop stress. Major losses to spring wheat already occurred. Pollinated corn now being affected, and significant losses are likely, especially in Montana into the western and central part of the Dakotas. Crop areas in the southern plains will remain hot with only isolated rain the next five days. Scattered rain and cooler weather should ease that crop stress in that six to ten day period. Ag Weather with Paul Perkins brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. I'll tell you what, it doesn't take long for you to step out the door and realize that. 
It's almost like jumping into an aquarium. Out yes, there. Uh, take a big breath of water out there. I guess so. <laughs> well, anyway, we're going to have to just contend with it for the next probably three days before we get any relief from this. So. Yep, yep. Through Friday, it looks like we're going to get, it'll start backing off a little bit for the weekend and early next week, but... Right now, the long term is looking like it will rear its ugly head once again. All right. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Taking a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Yesterday, USDA announced an atypical case of BSE, a neurological disease of cattle, in an 11-year-old cow in Alabama. Dr. Jack Shear, USDA chief veterinarian, talks about the many levels of BSE prevention and detection that has been put in place over the last few years. We remove specified risk materials or parts of the animal that would con- might contain the BSC protein prion and possibly transmit the disease from animals presented at slaughter. So those all animals that go to slaughter have these materials removed. The second safeguard that we follow is a strong feed ban, which prevents mammalian protein from being fed back to any type of ruminant. And another important component of our system is, of course, our ongoing surveillance program that allows USDA to detect the disease if it exists at very low levels in cattle populations. We used to sample up to 40,000. We're currently sampling 25,000 animals per year, and we're well above the standard set by OIE for that type of surveillance. The animal was showing clinical signs. It was found through routine surveillance at an Alabama livestock market. APHIS and Alabama veterinary officials are gathering more information on the case. And after the atypical BSE cow in Alabama was found, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association had reaction to the case. Joe Gangwish has more. NCBA President Craig Uden from Central Nebraska says all the clinical signs of BSE were there on the older cow, and it was handled by the vet authorities properly, so it shows the system works. Well, that's one nice thing about all the surveillance that are being done on the older cattle that we do find them if they show up and they're very very limited but as long as it doesn't affect our world health status we should be able to continue to not have any disruptions in that exports so that's a very positive sign and the markets kind of show that today Uden also says the strengthening of state veterinarians in all animal surveillance and how animals are identified has made a huge difference in keeping the food supply safe without burdening producers for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. And pork producers in Nebraska are asked to take a moment to vote for delegates to this year's Winter's National Pork Forum. Nebraska Pork Producers Association Executive Director Al Junkie says voting concludes on Friday. Nebraska gets five delegates to the National Pork Forum meeting in February of 2018 in Kansas City. We need to elect those delegates from Nebraska this week. And for the first time ever, we are holding those elections in an online forum. So if you're a pig farmer and you sell pigs into the market and you're from Nebraska, you have a right to vote. And we want you to do that this week at anypork.org. Junkie says ballots can be cast in person or at their office in Lincoln. Delegates at Forum will be will help to set up the direction of the checkoffs in promotion, research, and education. Again, voting ends Friday afternoon online at nepork.org. And the Trump administration said today they're 
starting talks with Mexico and Canada on an overhaul of the North American Free Trade Agreement will begin next month. It is also announced the chief negotiator for the proceedings. The administration said the first round of NAFTA talks will be held in Washington and run August 16th through the 20th. The administration also launched its first economic talks with China today amid signs that new difficulties were emerging in the friendly dialogue the two governments have been holding over the past three months. That's a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio. Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Joe Gangwish back with you here on the Rural Radio Network. We're going to visit with Bill Gross, president and founder of Farm Rescue, and we'll talk a little bit about the Nebraska expansion of that service into our state. But first of all, Bill, glad to have you on the program. Let's talk about Farm Rescue. First of all, give us some history and, and how the organization came about. Well, thank you. Uh, Farm Rescue is a nonprofit organization that I started in 2006 to, to help farmers uh, that had experienced a major injury, illness, or natural disaster, uh, such as with, uh, you know, planting or haying or harvesting their crop when they've had a uh, injury that uh, they're recovering from, such as, uh, you know, maybe they're getting chemotherapy treatments or had an arm cut off or broken leg or heart attack. Uh, We've helped over 400 farm families since I started the organization in 2006. Well, Bill Gross is with us, president of Farm Rescue. Uh, Talk about the states you're involved in and your expansion now into Nebraska. Well, I started the organization in North Dakota. I came from a family farm there, about 5,000 head of cattle, but uh, wasn't able to stay on that farm due to financial reasons. And, uh, And it went over so well, the organization in North Dakota, uh, everyone just loved it, the, the farmers and ranchers and, uh, and our sponsors and, uh, and even the media helping us uh, raise awareness of the organization that we soon began to get requests in, in the surrounding states, in South Dakota, Minnesota, Montana, uh, and Iowa, and now uh, into Nebraska. So those are the states that we provide service to nowadays, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Montana, and now Nebraska. If folks are interested, want to learn more about being involved, maybe uh, being a corporate sponsor, or if they would like some assistance, how do they apply? Well, the best way to find out more information about Farm Rescue or support our organization is to go to farmrescue.org. That's farmrescue.org. You can volunteer on that uh, website there, or you can donate as an individual. It's all secure and uh, or learn how to be a sponsor to support our organization in your area. We give some good public recognition to businesses that want to help out these hardworking farmers and ranchers. And if you need help yourself, you know, now's the time to apply. You can fill out a confidential application on our website. You may also call us at 701-252-2017. And not only if you need help yourself, but we receive many referrals, anonymous referrals. It may even be from uh, neighbors that uh, have their hands full and, and want to see if Farm Rescue can come and help. So don't hesitate to, to nominate a family for assistance. Just call us up and let us know what, what hardship or what complications they're having, and we'll reach out to them and see if we can offer a helping hand. So, And we have on that website farmer testimonial videos, sponsor videos, and volunteer videos. There's a lot of good information there, farmrescue.org. Let's talk about the Nebraska services that are available, and do you plan any more down the road? Well, that's a very good question. Right now we're offering 
uh, haying, haying assistance or to uh, help these uh, ranchers and farmers put up hay for their cattle and also hay hauling. Uh, we have dedicated hay hauling, semi-trucks and such. Uh, so those are the services we're offering right now. And in the future, uh, we plan on uh, offering planting and harvesting assistance. But for right now, it is just haying and hay hauling. That is Bill Gross, the founder of Farm Rescue. If you'd like to learn more, to apply, or to donate, just go to farmrescue.org. Here on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Joe Gangwish. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska junior quarterback Tanner Lee is one of 47 quarterbacks named to this year's Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award watch list. The Golden Arm Award is presented at the end of each football season, and the winner is selected based on accomplishments on and off the field. Six-foot-four, 220-pound Lee is entering his first season of action at Nebraska after starting his college career at Tulane. He emerged as the projected starting quarterback after a strong showing during Nebraska's spring practice. The Dodgers can win their 11th straight when they conclude a two-game set against the White Sox tonight in Chicago. L.A. owns the best record in baseball at 65-29 and and have now won 30 out of the last 34, including its second 10-game winning streak of the season. Last night, Clayton Kershaw improved to 15-2 on the year by knocking off Chicago 1-0, but he admits he felt a little rusty. Fastball command wasn't great the first few innings. Got a little better as it went, but... uh... Yeah, I mean, nine days off is definitely uh, not something I'm used to, so uh, thankful to get out of that uh, unscathed and uh, get this win. Kershaw was making his first start since the All-Star game. Another baseball news star outfielder, J.D. Martinez, now joins the Arizona Diamondbacks a day after they got rid of him from Detroit for a trio of prospects. Martinez is expected to take over in left field and provide some sorely needed pop against left-handed pitching. He's hitting 305 with 16 homers and 39 RBIs going into Arizona's game at Cincinnati. The Diamondbacks are in firm control of a wild card spot, but far back of the Dodgers in the NL West. Fans of the Cardinals-Mets game cheered when a man neatly caught a foul ball at City Field until they realized it was Chris Christie. The New Jersey governor then got loudly booed last night. The ovation quickly turned sour after Christie stood up and slapped hands with another fan. And it didn't matter that Christie had given the souvenir to a kid. Christie was sitting in the third row near the New York dugout. In that third inning, St. Louis rookie Paul DeYoung lifted a high foul ball that bounced into the stands, and Christie made the catch. And Manu Ginobili appears to be putting off retirement for at least another season. The forward, who turns 40 later on this month, has tweeted that he's re-signing with San Antonio. The six foot six guard has been part of four of the Spurs' five NBA championships. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Today, sunny and hot with a high near 100. Heat index values as high as 105. Southwest winds at 5 to 10. For tonight, mostly clear with a low of around 71. And then for Thursday, sunny and hot once again. High near 98. Heat index of 103 with southeast winds at 5 to 10. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. 
On Wednesday, Miss Nebraska 2017, Allison Tejan stopped at the KRVN studios. One of the topics she discussed was the fact that Miss Nebraska and Miss America pageants are primarily scholarship pageants. The scholarships are incredible. So let's take, for instance, when I was first runner-up in 2015, I didn't win, but I still walked away with $6,200. That was huge to, I mean, not even win Miss Nebraska, but to walk away with that much money. As winning Miss Nebraska, I walked away with a little over 13000 And so I'm on the track to graduate from UNL completely debt-free, which is incredible, and that's huge. And so the scholarship money essentially is what led me to compete for Miss Nebraska. Any participant in the Miss Nebraska pageant receives a $1,000 scholarship just for competing, and Tijan puts that in perspective with the larger Miss America pageant. Miss America is actually the number one provider for scholarships in women across the world. So they provide more scholarships for women than anyone, which I think is amazing, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Allison was crowned Miss Nebraska in June and will represent the state in the 2018 Miss Nebraska pageant in Atlantic City in September. Sensing was held Monday in Dawson County District Court for a 19-year-old Elwood woman convicted of misdemeanor motor vehicle homicide in a fatality accident last fall about nine miles south of Cosette. Bounton was driving a vehicle that ran a stop sign and struck an SUV, causing it to roll. Mary Robertson, 59, of Cosette, died at the scene. In addressing Bounton, Judge Jim Doyle summarized the letters Robertson's family members had submitted to the court. They all asked that you think about uh, living a good life, and one that brings honor to yourself and to others. And they also say that even though she's not here, Miss Robertson would probably forgive you. And that's an important thing for you to take with you as you leave the courtroom, is that there is forgiveness. Judge Doyle sentenced Bounton to two years of probation, a letter of apology to the family, and four presentations to Cozad and Lexington students on distracted driving. Utah Senator Mike Lee and Kansas Senator Jerry Moran used President Donald Trump's favorite medium, Twitter, to tell the world that they were going to tank the president's top legislative priority, the GOP health care bill. In a breach of usual protocol, the two Republican lawmakers did not give a heads up to the White House or Senate leaders. Get your news fast and first when you like our Facebook page. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network, and let's talk a little bit about uh, the activities of the Nebraska Pork Producers Association. And coming to an end this week is the voting for those producers that will be elected for the uh, Pork Act and go to the uh, Pork Industry Conference next spring, I believe, down in Kansas City. And here to tell us a little bit more about that is Al Junkie. He is the executive director of the Nebraska Pork Producers. So tell us, give us a little background on this whole Pork Act and, and what's going on here, coming to a conclusion this week right well as you know all our pork producers who sell uh into the markets uh their their pigs uh pay a check off and those check off dollars as we know are used for promotion education and um, uh, promotion education and uh research so those dollars then are rep- we need people to go decide how those dollars are spent, the policies behind the Port National Pork Board, etc. So, Nebraska gets five delegates to the National Pork Forum meeting in February of 2018 in Kansas City. We need to elect those delegates from Nebraska this week. And for the first time ever, we are holding those elections 
in an online forum. So in the past, producers, pork producers in Nebraska had to go to a meeting to vote for these delegates. This time around, all they have to do is open up their website, go to neport.org, and click on the election section of the website, and they'll be able to cast their vote for five delegates online. So it's the first year we've done that. We think it will um, gather more people and give more people an opportunity to vote. And so we want to get the word out. This goes till the end of the day, Friday, July 21st. So we need every Nebraska pork producer that pays checkoff. So if you're a pig farmer and you sell pigs into the market and you're from Nebraska, you have a right to vote. And we want you to do that this week at anypork.org. And, Al, I was uh, looking through the website myself, and it's good to see that there are six producers that are willing to run for those five spots. So it is actually an election this year, huh? Yep, and that's why we need people to vote. And, and uh, uh, the, one, the one that doesn't get elected, and we assume they'll all pick up votes, but the one that doesn't get elected will become the alternate then. So we'll have five people that will actually attend the meeting in Kansas City, and the one other delegate up there will become an alternate in case one of those people at the last minute can't go. So, again, it's important. We have about, we think, about uh, 2,000 to 2,500 pork, actual pork producers in the state that own and sell pigs. Every one of those producers should be out online this week, anypork.org, and casting their vote for the five National Pork Forum delegates. Al, if you would, run down who are those producers that have been w- willing to run for the Pork Forum? Yeah, we've got actually uh, six producers running for five spots, and uh, they're representative of, of areas across the probably the eastern two-thirds of the state. And they include Paul Segner, Michael Lucky, Dwayne Miller, Karen Grant, Aaron Reichmus, and Darren Euler. So those six people are all running for five open seats, and uh, again, we'd like people to get out there this week, and, and uh, if you're a pork producer, uh, vote online. By the way, if you can't vote online, you can also come directly here to our office in Lincoln and vote in person. So if you happen to be in Lincoln and would rather cast a paper ballot this week, that's fine, too. Just stop into our office. And just as we wrap up here, what are we asking those producers to do? In other words, what happens at Pork Forum in February that, that they'll be working on there? Well, Pork Forum, these delegates, what they do is elect our national uh, board of directors. Uh, so that's an important role. They also set the checkoff fee. Right now it's $0.40 cents per $100 in sales. That hasn't changed for a number of years, but they reaffirm that every year. And then they work on any resolutions or policy issues uh, for the operations of our National Pork Board. So it, it's, it's important to have these delegates. They join delegates from all the other pork-producing states at, a, at the meeting in February and go over all these things. But we need five of them there to vote on behalf of Nebraska pork producers. All right, there we have it. Let's put out the call. We'll get as many producers to vote online. Thanks, Al, for telling us about it. Appreciate it very much. No problem. Everyone go vote. It's voting time. Don't forget. All right, do that. And you can do that online at nepork.org and cast your ballot there. Thanks again. We've been visiting with Al Junkie, uh, the executive director of the Nebraska Pork Producers Association, here on the Rural Radio Network. Chad Moyer reporting.
Another exciting day when it came to the livestock futures again. Another volatile day as well. Joe Teal joins us from Great Plains Commodities. What do you say? Wow. I just what I can say is, wow. Yeah, real good day. Uh, we started out lower in the cattle, and uh, when uh, the auction results started coming in, uh, the market just exploded, and uh, uh, we held those gains. And uh, obviously, uh, things are a little bit better uh, it, from the auction, uh, uh, and that uh, sparked a pretty good rally. Uh, Three-digit uh, gains all the way across the board. Uh, in the cattle and feeders. So uh, a positive turnaround, uh, outside up day. Uh, uh, so you know, heading into a cattle on feed report on Friday, things are looking uh, pretty good. Uh, the only thing is, is the, the uh, cattle on feed report, uh, they're projecting uh, quite a few more placements. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Uh, the volatility is not going to go away, apparently, uh, uh, anytime soon. So look for uh, uh, another uh, exciting day, probably uh, in, in tomorrow's trade. The hogs also having a pretty good day. The uh, August hogs, triple-digit gains, uh, uh, the rest of them all higher. So uh, following along, cash uh, still holds in there. But the discount is so deep. Uh, that uh, it's not a real surprise. Uh, cutouts were uh, sharply higher at noon. That really helped uh, the hogs in the uh, end of the day. So a uh, pretty positive day for livestock today. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. I'm Dewey Nelson. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Bio Nebraska and Iowa Bio are joining forces today to present the second annual Animal Health of the Heartland Symposium, this year being held in Ames. Ames is also home of the National Animal Disease Research Center for the USDA. Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Bill Northey is at the conference, and I asked him how important it is to have this, uh, this facility in the middle of farm country. You know, it's hugely important, Bruce. As you say, they're doing great work to be able to understand the diseases better or potential diseases. They were huge when we had the disease outbreak itself. So Iowa State University's diagnostic lab, the confirmation was always at the National Animal Disease Center uh, and their lab there. And so the ability to be able to discover as quickly as we could whether we had a new version of the disease, whether it was really avian influenza or some other uh, less less egregious disease out there was really important to be able to have that um, but but all the work on vaccines uh, are done through there um, to be able to confirm that a vaccine is is going to be viable and 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 uh, efficacious so it will actually go ahead and control the disease and not have some off um, some some impacts to the animal that you don't want to have so it's a huge center. It's great to have that expertise close by. They can be part of events where for folks are gathering to talk about animal health and certainly a great thing to have here in the Midwest. They were saying also that uh, after that outbreak just started to happen, several members of Congress, uh, Congressman Steve King, for example, went right into the lab and asked questions, sat them right down and really worked them hard. And that's what they want. Absolutely. I, they're they're great at being able to host events. I actually was there with uh, 
Secretary Purdue and his uh, first week of, or I guess it was within a week of him uh, being able to be confirmed, he was here in Iowa and, and one of his first visits was to the lab here in Ames and I think that probably helped draw him to Iowa. I prefer to think it's Iowa farmers that drew him here, but uh, that also was uh, great to be able to have him in one of his first visits to be able to see uh, the great expertise. And he's, of course, a veterinarian, so he could ask questions well over my head about uh, 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 some of the animal diseases that are addressed there at the lab. Yeah, the responses are so great, and I was surprised at the number of different animal species they have out there. They've got bison, they've got deer, and, and they use all that in their total research package. And, and they do, and it's very interesting um, when we think of some of the diseases, uh, whether it's a brucellosis or some of the other diseases. We worry about it in cattle. Um, well, it, it actually is endemic in, in some of the, the uh, buffalo in some places or elk in some places. And so being able to understand how it operates in a different animal uh, can be important just because it shows up in those other animals, but it can also teach us how it's gonna, that disease is going to operate within one of our domestic livestock species that are so important economically. We constantly say we have the safest food supply in the world right here in the United States, uh, but there's still some work to do. What role does this lab play in that? Uh, there's always work to do. Obviously, there's always new diseases. We can have diseases come in from outside that we're not familiar with but show up in other parts of the world. Um, but diseases mutate as well, and so they change the way that they operate. So the importance of continued research cannot be overstated. I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, and with us is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Let's uh, visit with you about the grain markets and how they uh, really panned out today. Very similar to yesterday. I think a little bit of a better close, but uh, you know, if you recall, yesterday morning we woke up and everything was up, and then as uh, as the day went on, it just kind of a slow drag to the downside. Uh, corn and wheat kind of mimicked that today, but we did get a little bit of a better close. Beans, you know, a little bit off their highs, but performed much better. Um, I think beans are going to be the focus here once we get through the end of July. We'll get an idea for what this crop starts to look like here over the next two weeks, and then the uncertainty really shifts to the bean side, and that's where I think there could be some fireworks. Overall now, when you're a marketing man, uh, what's uh, your plan for the near term? Well, you know, I mean, looking to make deferred sales up on these rallies, we get a chance, 4.30, 4.35 on, on next year's corn, just to get something on, uh, given that we think we're going to see an increase in acreage a year from now. This is kind of the time of the year where you can make some good sales, or at least you have the last three to four seasons, where you get a midsummer rally. Now, we really haven't gotten that big kind of push spike yet, where I think a lot of the hedgers get blown out, and that's really what I've been waiting for, and uh, at this point, we've had, uh, I guess, a pretty good year from the hedge side, given that uh, the market really hasn't put too much pressure on anybody, um, but I think that could change here. You know, we got the rains that were expected. You know, a lot of the areas out your way got a substantial amount of rain, at least south of you guys, um, and I think that should support the market uh, as far as yield goes here in the short term, but we're still you know, in desperate need of rain here. The western third of Iowa... Um, you know, get up into the Dakotas. Obviously, the story's written there. Kansas is having problems. I think you have some Milo problems as well. So um, I think the next two to three months, you know, we'll have a lot of corn for sale given the old crop that's available. But for, as far as new crop goes, I think you should see 
start to see that basis uh, tighten up as we get into the, the third and fourth quarter. Traders are going to still focus on weather, but maybe this time it might be disease and as well as quality. Yeah, it could be. I, I don't know. I'm not too up on them. The Japanese beetles, is that what you're referring to now? Mm-hmm. That kind of seems to be the new talk of the town. I I don't think the USDA is going to be much help on that. I certainly think you could feel it in the fields locally, but uh, we know they're going to move off yields, and I think we're you know, still looking at 160 on the low side, 165 on the high side, which could bring the carryout significantly lower or only slightly lower. But shorter term here, I think, you know, keep watching those weather models. And, um, you know, I think the uncertainty will start to get priced in as we get closer to that August WASDE report. Thanks for the comments, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. That's DanielsAgMarketing.com. Or call 866-825-8561. I'm Dewey Nelson.